Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Just to know that you can talk to God, just to know that God hears you, it means a lot. You know, um, we go through our day talking to everybody else. You talk to your wife, you talk to, you know, um, talk to people at work. You know, you having a conversation with them, right? Um, but you don't talk to God. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> You know, even just to explain to God how your day went. You know, I, I I can't wait to come home to hear the voice of my kids. You know, to hear my kids say, hello, daddy, how you doing? You know, <laughs> how was your day? You know, I can't wait for that. I, I you know, I, I rush home just to hear those words for my kids, to hear my, the, you know, uh, my kids' voice, you know. Um, so... Why not? <laughs> you are praying to the, you know, the creator, you know, you are praying to God and who knows all things and who can do all things. You know, um, we are inadequate. We, you know, me, myself, I, you know, I can do nothing, you know, by myself, you know, for myself. So, um, you know, I need. You, I need God. Hey, will you join me, guys, in thanking Melvin, one of our members here, for sharing his heart for the Lord? Man, what a, what a warm and inviting call to prayer. Uh, we are beginning a new series this morning. Uh, we're calling this series Pray 20. And the heart behind this series is to invite you into a stronger relationship with God that maybe you've longed for but wasn't sure how to get there, or maybe it's something you never even thought was possible. Y'all, I want us to encounter the power and presence of God as a church, and the means by which we do that is through prayer. Now, maybe you grew up like me where the bulk of your prayers were uh, at the dinner table over your Velveeta shells and cheese, right? Not over craft, there's no helping that, but over your Velveeta, right? And that, that was where your prayers were, or maybe it was um, the bedtime kind of nursery rhyme type prayers, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my, the Lord my soul to take, something like that, right? A little bit morbid, but you did it, um, just in case, um, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and maybe, uh, really, a little bit more serious note, maybe some of you are like, yeah, I've tried praying. And nothing happened. So I'm kind of done with that now. Uh, Listen, y'all, there's just kind of the reality that many of us were never shown or taught 
more about what prayer could be than maybe just a, a routine that we do or something where we just, we just go and hope that things turn out differently. For most of us today, prayer isn't about stepping into the power and presence of God. It's just more of a, a one-way kind of informing or requesting of God, and we hope he hears. But I look at Scripture, and Scripture is filled with people talking with God and God moving it and responding to them, right? I see Joshua tell the son to stand still because he's got some things to do in the name of God, and God makes the son stand still, right? I see Elisha go to God and say, no, God, I need you to shut up the heavens because I got some work to do, and God does. And then he says, okay, God, I need you to open the heavens up and make it rain again, and God does. I see Gideon struggling with whether or not what he's doing is the will of God, and he wants to be sure that what he's doing is in the will of God because it's a really important moment in his life. So he goes and he prays, God, give me a sign. And God does. Gives him a fleece. I see Jesus, God incarnate, still long to spend hours alone with the Father, and I see conversation between him and the Father. I see James tell me that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much, that when God's people pray, he hears them. And I see the early church pray. And when I read through Acts and I see the early church pray, I see walls shake, I see chains just break, and I see demons flee. And I want that. Right? I want God to move like that in my world. I want that power. And more than I want that power, I just want to be that close to God, that I have that kind of a relationship with God where he and I are really on speaking terms. And we're talking back and forth. I don't want to settle for dinner and bedtime prayers because I don't want to settle for just a dinner and bedtime God. I don't want just the God of my emergencies. I want all of God. I want him to breathe life into me. I want him to breathe life and power into my family, into our church, and into our community. All of it. That's what this series is about. Pray 20 is our way of inviting you into a deeper understanding, a more full, I hope, understanding of prayer, and into a movement of prayer that is beginning to stir here at our church inviting you to experience a season of refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord your God with you. So I believe, I really do believe I'm on assignment from God for us, Mercy Church, right now. And I don't say that often, and I don't say it lightly. I and our elders are under conviction from God that he is calling Mercy Church into a renewed season of prayer. So I have two simple goals for this series. One is, is collective for Mercy Church, and the other is personal to you. Collectively, we want 2020 to be the year the people of Mercy Church get desperate for God, hungry for God, and that will express itself in a rich and powerful culture of prayer, unlike anything you and I have ever experienced before. I told you on Vision Day, October 27, 2019, that the theme of this year, I feel like the Lord is, is giving us is awakening faith us as a church having a, a faith that wakes up to what God is doing and believing that God is moving in our world and then seeing that result in a ripple effect of people in our community being awakened to the gospel. Listen, the first thing I told you he's calling us to in light of that is desperate prayer. 
I want us to be a church that meets with God, that the power of God resides in. And anyone in our community, Christian or not, I want them to know that they can come here and find the power of God to rescue them, to save them, to heal them, that marriages have hope here, right? That addicts have hope here, that prodigals have hope here because this church meets with God. And the power of God is unleashed when this people pray. Now, there's a personal side to this series as well. Pray 20 is a challenge to you. I want to show you everything, at least as much as I can, about what prayer really is. And then challenge you, here's my challenge to you, is to pray for 20 minutes every day in 2020. That's the challenge I'm I'm throwing out to you, which might, depending on where you are right now, seem absolutely crazy. But I I want you to hang with us, and I want you to see. I want you to see what God has for you. The point is not to set a stopwatch anyways, right? The point is to invite you into that relationship with God that will flourish when you give it some time to. So here's where we're going in the series. Let me lay out, uh, I don't normally do this, but I feel like it's important because prayer is deeply personal, and this is just, again, a very important time for us as a church. Today, we're going to just go ahead, head on, and hit the question, does prayer really change things? We're going to talk about that today. Why even bother to pray? Next week, we're going to talk about how to draw close to God as our Heavenly Father. A lot of what you heard from Melvin in that video, that spirit's really going to be as we go into the Lord's Prayer next weekend. The week after that, we're going to talk about intercessory prayer. We're going to come back to the Lord's Prayer after that. And before we're done, we're going to have a whole sermon on what to do when it seems like God's not answering our prayers. Now, if you're new to Mercy, I want you to listen to me right now. I want to encourage you to stick this out for the next five weeks. It takes more than a week to really get to know a church anyways, so I'd encourage you to take this series. Lord willing, you're going to walk out of here with something that will be very helpful for you as you walk forward with God. But not only that, you're going to have a chance to get to know our church a little bit. I want you to go to something we call Starting Point. You're going to hear about this in the coming weeks. It's our first step to learn about mercy, to learn about our leadership. And listen, I want you to hear about how we're kind of set up to build people up in their faith. Right, to help you understand who God is, how to walk with God, how you're wired to walk with God, and then how we unleash you for the glory of God in your day and our day here. You get to hear a little bit about that, all right? Series intro is now over. Time to move into today's passage. That is my transition statement. Um, we're going to start with that question I told you a lot of people are a little bit afraid uh, to ask out loud, but I actually think it dictates a whole lot about our prayer lives, and that's this question. Does prayer really change things? Does prayer really change things? We're going to be in Exodus chapter 32. If you've got your Bible, make your way over there. We're going to be from verses 7 to 14. And the question is just what role do our prayers have in changing God's plans? Do our prayers convince God to do something he wasn't already planning to do? Because sometimes I pray and nothing happens. Sometimes I pray and stuff does happen, but was that already going to happen? Sometimes I forget to pray, and the stuff still happens. So does prayer really change things? Now, I will go ahead and admit to you, this one is going to be a brain flex kind of message, okay? I'm going to show you in a minute clear and compelling scripture that God's purposes and plans are eternal, that he knows the beginning and the end, and nothing surprises him. And so in light of that, what's the purpose of prayer? Can it affect the future? 
And we're going to go into and figure out what role prayer plays um, in the grand scheme of things and in our life. Exodus 32 is an awesome story. Uh, this is 7 through 14. It is an awesome narrative that has been handed down to us. But the more you try to understand it, I just kind of want to own it at the moment out of the gate. The more we try and look into it, the more it's going to be difficult to understand. But we'll dig into it. We'll see what the Lord has for us, all right? Starting in verse 7. You guys ready? Here we go. Let's do it. The Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. There's some awesome pronoun wordplay that happens in this uh, passage. They have quickly turned from the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves an image of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. All right, let me set the scene newer to the Bible, newer to the the story here. Moses is the current leader of God's people. Under God's orders and God's power, Moses emancipated two million people from control of Egypt and was leading God's people through this wilderness time coming to a promised land, a land that God had said, one day I will bring you into. That's why it's called the promised land. Moses has left this group alone at the bottom of the mountain so that he can go up onto this mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And what's happened is he's gone just a little bit longer than they expected him to be gone. Because, you know, God's up there. And so Moses isn't setting the time limit, right? Moses isn't checking his phone. to see who's, You know what I mean? Moses is with God. Well, Israel goes into a panic. They start, they start freaking out a little bit. Because they're like, where's Moses? He should be back by now. What are we going to do? Now, the absurdity of this panic should not be lost on us. Remember, after all, God did just bring them out of enslavement to the most powerful nation in the known world, right? He does, he does it through 10 very incredible plagues that made it clear God was the one doing the work. On their way out, God gives them a parting gift. He makes all of the Egyptians, these upper-class Egyptians, give all of their gold and silver over to Israel as they're leaving. So now, fresh bling in hand, they go out into the wilderness. And even in the wilderness, God provides a pillar of smoke by day or a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night to guide them where they're going. When Pharaoh tries to attack, God moves the pillar around as a little bit of a defensive mechanism. And then God parts the Red Sea so that Israel can walk through it. Once Israel gets through, God brings the Red Sea back down on the Egyptian army. He then, out in the wilderness, provides food from heaven for them. And even down to the littlest of things, he keeps, he preserves their sandals so they can walk around in the wilderness for all these years without their sandals getting worn out. And yet, after all this, because Moses is late from coming down from the mountain, they think God has abandoned them. The whole scene is set up for the reader to roll their eyes a little bit, right? But then... As soon as we start to do that, we realize this is us. This is us, right? So, so focused on our micro moment that we're in right now that we forget all that God has done for us. And something else happens too, and this is very important when it comes to our prayer life. 
When we cannot see what God is doing in the moment, we start to doubt him in the moment, and then we start to say this. Tell me if this sounds familiar. I'm not sure God was ever doing anything in my life. And that doubt, listen, there's good doubt. There is good doubt where we approach the scriptures and we approach God. God, I'm struggling to figure some things out. God, help. there's good doubt. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about saying I'm so consumed with my moment and I can't see God in my moment that that doubt starts to just sprinkle across my entire timeline with God. And I'm not sure God was ever even there to begin with. That sounds familiar. That's very common that people experience that because of the focus on the moment. And this is Israel right now. So what do they do? (laughs) They melt down all the silver and gold that God gave them and use it to create a new God and say, since God must not be here anymore, I'm going to create this new God. And you know what? That's the one that brought me out, right? That's what really happened. It wasn't God. That's what really went down. I'm going to let that color what I believe God has done in the past. Now I got a new, a new idea, a new worldview on this whole thing. So they do that. They throw a party. It leads to this drunken cult-like orgy around this, this calf. It's this whole sort of false worship scene that's happening. And this 180 is this huge affront to what God has done, which is probably why God says in verse 7 the way he says it, right? Go down at once for your people, Moses, that you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. That <laughs> reminds me of when Courtney's like not home, my wife Courtney's not home, and my kids misbehave, and I call her. You are never going to believe what your daughter did, right? Because in that moment, shame on, right? In that moment... That's your daughter. That's Courtney coming out right there, that kind of thing. God's pawning them off on Moses right now. And then verse 9. Verse 9, it gets serious. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people. They are indeed a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone, Moses, so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I'll make you a great nation. Destroy them. Moses, you need to step aside because they're about to catch me outside right now. We're about to handle this, and then we'll start over. But then what happens next is one of the most bold prayers ever. Verse 11, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, why does your anger burn against your people that you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and strong hand. No, 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 God, this was your work, and this is who you are. You are the Lord. You are the rescuer of Israel. Why should the Egyptians say, verse 12, why should these Egyptians that we came from, that you brought us from, be able to say he brought them out with an evil intent to kill them in the mountains and eliminate them from the face of the earth. Don't do that, God. Don't let them be able to say that about your name and about your character. You can't do that, God. We can't let them say that. No, no, your glory is at stake. Turn from your fierce anger and relent concerning this disaster planned for your people. Other translations say, repent repent, Lord. Basically, God, 
Don't do that. Do something else. And then he goes after the promises of God. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You swore to them by yourself and declared, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give your offspring all this land that I promised, the promised land we're going to, and they'll inherit it forever. Moses, look, what Moses is doing is not just talking about the character of God and that his glory and his name is at stake and his reputation is at stake, but he's also saying, God, you have promised to take this people into that land. You gotta remain true to your character. And then the most amazing verse, verse 14. So, so, because of what was just said, the Lord relented concerning the disaster he had said he would bring on his people. What? Don't you feel a little bit of that? Did Moses' prayer just change God's mind? That's what it looks like. Moses reminds God of something God said earlier, and in doing so, seems to cause God to change his mind and not do what God seems set out to do. What is happening here? Was it, you start to think, did God just not get a good night's sleep? Snapping at the kids? And, and here's what makes this even crazier to me. Our author, Moses, is the author, or the guy Moses is also the author of the book of Exodus. He is also the author of the book of Numbers. And in Numbers 23, 19, here's what Moses says about God. The same God that all this just happened with. God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. That's not who God is. So the same author convinces God through prayer to change his mind and then makes it clear to us that God doesn't change his mind. What is happening? How are we to make sense of this? What was happening here is something very powerful and very mysterious that is incredibly important to be aware of when it comes to the practice of prayer. What I'm about to tell you, though, is not the secret formula for how the mind of God works, okay? Look, I've got multiple accountants in my family, and, you know, if your mind is like them and everything has to add up to zero in order for the world to not fall apart instantly, right? This might be a little bit, a little bit frustrating to you because what we see here are truths on display in this narrative. We see some truths that are in tension with one another, but need to remain in tension with one another in order to really understand the purpose and the power of our prayers. And there's certainly a space in which we need to say God's ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, right? That there is something of God we can't fully understand. I just want to put that in front of you that we're not looking for just a secret formula, but instead truths that are on display. And here's the first truth on display. The purposes and promises of God are unchanging. The short answer, y'all, is that the the Bible is filled with consistent descriptions of God as eternal, all-knowing, all-changing. In fact, that brings the writers of Scripture great comfort, right? That he doesn't change. He's faithful. He'll always be faithful. Comfort comes from believing that he does indeed know the plans he has for us, right? Isaiah 46.10, I declared the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done. Right, saying my plan will take place and I will do all my will. Comfort comes from knowing that he promises to be with us and he will. 
that he rescues us from sin and death, that it's true, that he gives us life eternal. These promises that God is Alpha and Omega, that he created the world by his word and upholds the world moment to moment. Nothing surprises our God. This brings comfort. Here's why this matters for our prayers. If God was always changing his mind and always changing his purposes, prayer, it would be like trying to just stroke God's ego. It'd be trying to do enough good to satisfy him so that he'll do some good for you. Or maybe like, if I can just figure out the magic words. Maybe that's how you viewed prayer for a while. But if, if the purposes and promises of God are unchanging, the pressure's taken off of us which is freeing. It does still leave us with the question of where our prayers fit into all of this. Let's keep going. Here's a second truth. The plans of God are still unfolding. I'm not saying his plan is changing. I'm saying his plan is unfolding in the world. Think about this. In verse 7, God tells Moses to go down and see. God informs Moses of what's going on. Well, he doesn't need to do that. They could sin against God, and then God just destroy them. He doesn't need to have a conversation with Moses, but then Moses, now knowing, uses the very promises of God as the logic behind his request for God not to destroy Israel. What you see happening here is that God put Moses in a situation where Moses would see the problem, he would remember God's promise, and then turn around and intercede on behalf of God's people. If God were going to crush his people, he wouldn't have sent Moses down there. He wouldn't have set this whole thing up. No, what God was doing was setting up a mediator between God and his people, which leads right to our third truth. The prayers of God's people are working. The prayers of God's people are working. I can't help but look at the clear reading, clear meaning of this text, y'all. Verse 14, the Lord relented, relented concerning the disaster he said he would bring on his people. Without this prayer... God would have destroyed Israel. This prayer was instrumental in getting God not to, to not do what he was about to do. So what's happening? Well, you got a God who is both holy and merciful, just and loving. How is he remaining true to his unchanging purposes and promises? Well, what if we saw Moses' prayer like this? Moses' prayer isn't changing God's plan. Moses' prayer is actually fulfilling God's plan. Now, I know many of you are going to see that and you're skeptical. There is this quiet cynicism and skepticism that runs through the American culture. I'm telling you, it is the hardest culture in the world. I was reading a guy um, this past week, Paul Miller's book of Praying Life, said it's the hardest culture in the world to learn how to pray because of this quiet cynicism, that we're always looking for what's wrong with that, and we don't feel a need because our daily bread is something that we go buy at the store anyways, right? I want you to just acknowledge that quiet cynicism for a second, because I know you see that. Moses' prayer is fulfilling God's plan, and you ask, well, what if Moses didn't pray? Then would God have destroyed Israel? And then wouldn't it have been God's will to not spare Israel after all, or would God have just gotten somebody else to pray if Moses didn't do this prayer that he did? And you translate that to your life and you think, so when I pray, was it God's will for me to pray? Or if I get to, was God going to get somebody else to do it? Or maybe by not praying, 
my not praying was instrumental in something not happening. And then your brain is like, ouch, right? You keep going through that? Excuse me. And the reason, listen, the reason that starts to really frustrate us is because we're asking the wrong question about God and his plans. Maybe this will help. Um, I really dealt with this in seminary. It's a great place to wonder if your prayers matter. <laughs> we're like, what? the thing I'm giving my life to, my career to, does this matter? You know, that kind of, kind of moment. And my pastor gave me just a really helpful um, commentary from an old Princeton theologian, A.A. A. Hodge, from the 19th century. So I'm going to pass it on to you. Here's what he said. <coughs> Excuse me. Does God know the day you'll die? Yes. Has he appointed that day? Yes. Can you do anything to change that day? No. Then why do you eat? Well, to live. What happens if you don't eat? You die. Then if you don't eat and die, then would that be the day that God had appointed for you to die? Hodge said, quit asking stupid questions and just eat. (laughs) Eating is the preordained way God has appointed for living. Right? In the same way, prayer is the preordained way God has appointed for carrying out his purposes in the world. So pray. Here's the point. Moses wasn't focused on how to fully understand the mind of God. Moses is focused, as we look at that, on the unchanging promise of God and how it applies to the present situation he's in right now. He's focused on the unchanging promise of God. There's a promised land that you are to bring us to. And he's saying, all right, how does that promise apply to the moment we're in right now? This is the form of prayer I want us to really lean into here at Mercy Church. It's not the only type of prayer. I'm telling you, we're gonna cover a lot this series. But Moses is a mediator placed between God and his people. God puts him there to pray into effect God's relenting from the disaster that was coming. And that's what he does with you and I too. He sovereignly puts you and I into a point in time so that we can claim his promises and bring their power to bear on the people and situations around us. This is why God calls us a kingdom of priests in 1 Peter and a holy nation because we're sent down here to believe God on behalf of a people, of a community, and of a workplace who so desperately need him. And we have an incredible model for this. Moses, listen, Moses goes up onto a mountain to stand in the gap between God and the destruction coming to a people who deserve it. Moses is a foreshadow, and that's what you're to see a foreshadow of Christ who goes up onto a hill to hang in the gap between God and a people who deserve the punishment coming to them. That's you and I. And he prays, Father, forgive them. He prays God's promise, which is that God is going to bring a savior to the world. And it's by his stripes, Isaiah said, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, by his stripes that we are gonna be healed. And Jesus praying, Father, forgive them, is unleashing the power of God by saying, don't bring your justice onto them, bring it onto me. And he unleashes the power of forgiveness into the world as he dies for our sins. He comes out of the grave 
because his servant was never going to stay dead. The chains of death could not hold his servant. He comes out of the grave and in doing so gives us new life. He goes and stands and sits down by the Father, securing for us life eternal, sends his spirit to be with us, and one day he's going to bring us back. That's the mediator between God and us, and now God's, yes, that's our God. First Timothy 2, there is one mediator. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's our model. And so now we go before God, having been freed from the power of sin. We are now kingdom, a kingdom of priests. And you ask, what did God put me here in the world for? This is why it's to pray. It's to pray. I'm going to show you three things that our prayer should look like in light of this. Intercessory prayer. When I say intercessory prayer, all I mean is believing God, standing in the gap, believing God on behalf of people. So you have three parts to it. First, we see the problem. Then we believe God's promise, and in doing so, release his power. The problem, listen, there are many of you that are the only Christian in your workplace. This is why you're there. You need to go get there early this week. You need to pray over that workspace and announce the kingdom of God is here with me. Everyone around me, God, is trying. They're trying to put on a good face. They're trying to figure out purpose in life, but they're hurting. They need your love, and I know that when I come in here, the kingdom of God comes with me. God, I see the problem. Next, I'm believing the promise. God, you do not desire that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. I'm believing that promise right here, so I want to release your power because it's through my prayers that you've ordained a change in someone's eternal destiny for your glory, because it's consistent with your character, God, to save here. You need to wake up early and pray over your kids, over your spouse, over your siblings, your roommate, your professor. God, I've got these people who need your love. Save them. God, I see a marriage in crisis over here. Marriage is your gift. I believe you give it. You designed it to be a blessing to us and to an anthem to the world about the love of Christ. So God, I'm asking you to step in and restore this marriage for your glory to be consistent with your character. This is how God has set up the system. He's put you in a place to believe on him for the things he wants to do. And in doing so, we release his power into the world. He did it with Moses. He did it with all the prophets. Think about Jonah and Nineveh. Why does God go to all this work and send this stubborn prophet all the way to Nineveh? Why not just take care of it without him? Because that's how God set up the system, right? He sent them there to preach to them so that they would repent and he wouldn't destroy them. Sometimes we think, man, what's the point if God's gonna do it all anyway? As if God's sovereignty would keep us from praying. But scripture's saying exactly the opposite. Realizing that God has put you in a place to be an instrument of his power is motivation to pray. Y'all, that's right. I'm thinking about spring 2019. I'm in a coffee shop over in Noda. I got my Bible open. I'm reading Isaiah 56. Got a meeting about an hour. Sitting there. 23-year-old guy sits down next to me. He's not on his phone. It was very refreshing. We started having this thing called conversation. It's where two people look each other in the eye and, and verbal sounds come out of your mouth back and forth to one another. It's still possible. Okay? Anyways, we get to talking. He's applying for a job at the coffee shop. He says very quickly, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life. 
I'm trying to figure out what my purpose is in life. Never forget it. So I said, is your purpose here? All right, and he said, well, I don't know. I grew up in a, a church world and just had some really bad experiences, and I'm trying to figure it out. And now I don't know what to think. And I said, hmm, well, that happened to me too, man. And in, the, in my heart and mind, I am calling all the angels, right? I'm like, angels assemble. Michael, Gabriel, get the boys. We got some work to do right now in here, all right? I, I'm, I'm in it. So we're pretty deep. I, and I said, man, we got pretty deep pretty fast here. What's your name? He said, my name's Isaiah. I said, stop, right now. He said, what? I said, I'm pretty sure you've seen that I got my Bible sitting open on the table right here. Today I was reading Isaiah 56. And I didn't know necessarily why I was reading it, but I know right now God put me here, right here, to believe for you, to tell you that he still loves you despite your past pain. You have a God that still loves you who's standing with arms open wide, ready to receive you just as you are if you will come to him. He loves you. And then 10 seconds later, the lady comes up and says, um, Isaiah, we're ready for your interview. And I'm like, what? No. I thought the whole coffee shop was going into revival mode. I was ready, right? Man, I'd love to tell you Isaiah came to faith right there. He didn't. But for the first time in a long time, he heard the gospel in love. He sent me, we text back and forth for a few months after that and was just I'm just like, man, I've never really heard it like that before. Thank you so much. So much to consider, and we'll see what the Lord does. And you you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, well, that never happens to me, man. I I go to work, not to a coffee shop like you go to, right? And I'm like, no, no, no. Listen, I got nothing but Christians at my workplace. I got to get out there to see what, you know, what's going on. But what I want to tell you is this does happen. We're just not looking for it. We're not listening to what God might be doing. We're not perceiving the problem around us as a spiritual problem, so we're not believing his promise. So, of course, we don't pray for his power to intervene in the world around us. Believer, what if the main reason God has you here is to pray? To pray for people, to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. You are chosen by God for this time. Every single one of us chosen by God for this time and this moment to pray. There are hundreds of promises from God in Scripture for us. That's not an exaggeration. But if we're going to be the people that believe, yes, prayer changes things because God ordains us to get in here and believe so that the present path people are on will be changed into alignment with the fulfilling of his plan to do that. We've got to be filled with his spirit and filled with his word. We've got to know these promises listening to God, perceiving where he's working, and then applying his promises to our day. I told you, I want you to pray for 20 minutes every day. I, I want you to hear me. I hope you'll see by the end of this series how it's the most important 20 minutes you could spend in your day, but I know you got to work up to that. It's such a start. So just start with a minute, all right? Start with a minute this week as a way of modeling this for you and training you how to pray. When we come together, this is not just information transfer. We're asking the Lord to change us when we gather together to be a people of prayer. So we're going to take the next five minutes, and we're going to pray together, all right? I'm going to give you a simple outline to help you, to help you go through it. Uh, the outline's also going to be on the screen. It is not going to be an easy acronym, all right? I don't have that for you. I just have three simple things that you're going to pray, okay? Um, I planned on an acronym, but I chose Clarity. Clarity won the day. We're all glad for it, Okay. So we're in a second. Uh, Let me explain what we're going to do. 
And then in a second, we're going to group up. We're going to get with one or two other people. Now, as soon as I say that, listen, if you're new around here or if that just like, uh, I don't know about praying with other people. When I break us up, you just drop your head. Boom. Real quick. That's the signal that you want to pray by yourself. Okay? Everybody's going to be fine with that. We're all at different spots. And so we're going to go. I want to push you. I want to challenge you a little bit. But I, I recognize you may not be ready for that. Here's, what here's the first thing we're going to do. We're going to listen to God. That's going to be the hardest of these five minutes. We shun silence so hard in our culture. We crave, we need distraction. But this may be the most powerful minute we have together. When we just go to God with our shopping list, we leave no room for him to tell us what's happening at the foot of the mountain. Before Moses prayed, he listened. God showed Moses what to pray about. So listen. Jesus says that the people who belong to God are like sheep who know the voice of their shepherd. So listen. Listen for God to bring something or someone to mind that he wants to work in. Maybe, and listen, this is more true than we'd like to admit, maybe the problem he's going to bring to mind is you. Right? Again, we're so just not used to this that we're going to, it's going to be one, 60 seconds and it's going to feel like, like a long time maybe. That's okay. You ever heard, though, you ever heard someone say, man, God brought you to mind. How? It's because they were listening for him to do that. So we're going to do that. Then we're going to remember God. We're going to remember who he is and what he's done. Lord, Moses says. First thing he says, Lord, that's who he is. And then he talks about what he's done, how he brought them out of the land of Egypt, about the promises that he has. God, you're a saving God. The psalmist spends so much of their prayer time praising God. And always the requests they make are tied to his character. God, do this because it is consistent with your character. Praise him for saving you. James says, all good gifts come down from the Father above. Praise him for the gifts he's given you. Thank him. If you're not sure how to do that, pull your Bible out or turn in your Bible over to Psalm 145 and just read it. All you have to do is read it out loud. That's a prayer to God, thanking God for who he is and what he's done. And then finally, we're going to ask God. We're going to finish by going to God like a child goes to her daddy and, and asks. He loves for us to come like children. So go to him. Don't you worry about eloquence. Eloquence is actually kind of dangerous in prayer. Just talk to him. Just talk to him, all right? So we're going we're gonna, to, again, group up and take about five minutes. Most, this might be the most you've prayed in years. That's okay. Isaiah 56, God says, my house will be a house of prayer. This is the Lord's house. We, Mercy Church, are the Lord's house. So we're going to grow into being a people of prayer. All right, I'm going to ask you to go ahead now identify, make eye contact with, shoulder tap, whatever it is, identify that person. You guys get together over the next one minute, and then I'm going to lead us in a minute. Actually, you only need 30 seconds. Then I'm going to give us a minute of silence before the Lord together, and our teams are going to continue to lead us. You group up now. Take the next minute. Nobody needs to say anything in your heart and your mind. You say, God, I'm listening. God, speak. God, I'm listening. And then I'll take us to what's next.
is now we're going to voice our prayers to God for the next couple of minutes. We're going to voice prayers together. The room should sound like a room full of people talking, talking to God. All right? You one person in the group pray and then the next person, and I want you to just remember God. Thank you for who you are. You are a good God. You're a loving God. You're a redeeming God. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for my family, the, the gifts you've given us. Name that which God has, to who he is and what he's done. Thank him. You're going to be tempted to go on to what you need him for. You're going to have to fight that and just thank him. And then the next person go. And then you just keep going. Okay, it's okay to pray multiple times. You keep going, and then I'll move us into the next thing. You take a couple minutes, and you remember God together. Take just a second, and I want you almost, if you think about it like the subject heading in an email, I want you to explain what it is that you really need somebody to believe God for you, someone to, to be a mediator between you and God right now. 
Maybe you're just tired of praying this prayer and you need somebody else to pick up that burden. That's what the church is. Whatever that is that you need prayer for, I want you to just, just very briefly again, and there's nowhere, no way we could do it justice in this moment. Praise God he knows what you need before you ever even ask. I want you to share that with one another and then pray over one another. And then we'll come back and we'll close us. Um, our worship team will come and close us. Right